The theme for the evening talk is Varieties of Experience. It just occurred to me, in fact, when coming in here and just uh, 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 sitting down, and some of you will know this ra rather well, who have been yogis not only through the years and the decades, that one finds with the passage of years that one sits for X amount of time and then upon arising it's gradually taking a little bit longer and slower to go from sitting cross-legged to standing. But the other interesting thing which I'm noticing and observing as well is that in the passing uh, uh, of the years it's actually taking longer to go from the standing here to sitting in the cross-legged posture. Whether this is called the varieties of experience, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sure. But uh, the other day I commented on the um, unfairness of, of uh, life and I had remarked to a friend that I, yeah, I had um, pulled some uh, tendon uh, here. And uh, again, with the passage of years, things take a little while longer to heal. So the person's uh, uh, comment, um, hardly original, was, well, Christopher, you're getting uh, older. <laughs> and I said, well, please explain to me why one leg feels 20 years older than the other. <laughs> because as far as I know, they were born at the same time. <laughs> so one looks at one's, uh, what should we call it, unfolding uh, life and extraordinary range and varieties of uh, experiences. And we have an odd thing of... Um, wanting life to be uh, uh, fair. Peculiar idiosyncrasy of the viewpoint uh, that we have. And sometimes we think, well, life seems more fair to others than to ourselves, or possibly uh, vice versa, and we feel more blessed than others seem to have a hard, harder life, or we view they get what they deserve, or they should get even more than what they deserve, depending how we're feeling that day. And the views of what's fair, and life's fair, and life is unfair, and all, all that show, shows uh, out of it, really just... Uh, the predominance of views and opinions in interpretation of experiences which take place. But in a way, we're really facing them, attending to the presence of existence. Life, bottom line, life is what it is. And in that respect, neither fair nor unfair. Just it is what it is. And say all this in the kind of a context and the context of a situation, as, as people of the earth, as uh, human beings, we uh, are exposed 
to uh, an extraordinary wide uh, range of uh, experiences. Uh, the possibility, and maybe the little bit of the danger with us, is that that uh, variety and expanse of them can get uh, limited, and it can get uh, limited to just a small handful and thus we can find ourselves in our day-to-day -day, uh, life here and elsewhere just uh, moving between a small number of uh, experiences which we might think of and describe as uh, pleasant or unpleasant and then the intensification of the world of the pleasant and the unpleasant and then the intensification of all of that in which the fields of experience in fact begin to boil down to what we are attracted towards and what we have aversion towards. And these two movements and forces in our life can gain a momentum. And sometimes we do need to stop and say, well, when I look at my life and my experience of being on this earth with myself and uh, with others. And to what degree, deep honesty, to what degree is my life really pushed and pulled around by what I am attracted towards and what I have resistance or aversion towards? And am I really, myself, myself, is it really nothing much more than a a movement, a composite of those two, sometimes driven in one direction with one, and or through the other, or the confusions and the stress, in fact, when those two start to collide. Is that basically what the condition of my inner life is? And anything which you and I do can be perceived in those terms. So we look at the day and we say, where's my life going? And I say, is it being pulled along? Is it aversion to something else? Some of us uh, like uh, jogging and, and uh, 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 running. And when uh, out doing it, uh, those of you who live in uh, small, small towns and have lived in them for some years, as I have done in one town since Dotness, since the beginning of the 80s, and one is in the pleasant position of um, knowing quite a lot of people and in the unpleasant position of not wanting to see them. <laughs> and... Uh, And so sometimes one is uh, out, uh, out running and out of the voices of the high street or track or wherever I am running, someone will say, ah, oh, just the person I want to see. <laughs> you know, I'm then supposed to stop running and take off my track suit and sit cross-legged in front of the person or something. <laughs> you know, or one gets the, 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 the wise ones who see me running and then, out, and then they shout out, you know, what are you running from, Christopher? And, uh, 
So anything that we do in relationship, the movement of our inner life, any direction that we can go in, we can say, well, it could be viewed, pulled in this way, attraction towards this achieving goal or whatever. Oh, we could be avoiding, denying, uh, uh, running away from. Not necessary for others to make that kind of comment and uh, judgment on our existence, but certainly for us to explore what the teachings are of the middle ground, of the middle way in this range of experiences to be uh, clear and receptive to ourselves and say, how much am I in the spell of these two movements? How much am I in the spell, in the grip, in the fix of uh, uh, either of these two movements? Because in the potency of the two of them, self is stuck, self is caught. And sometimes we think it would be hard to imagine any kind of life which in some way or other isn't under the influence of uh, all, all of that. But when speaking of those two simple, maybe primary forms of uh, experience in our life, what is it? There's a contact on the senses. We see something. And it generates in the eye a, a, a momentary impression of recognition as well, of course, or on the ear, on the nose, tongue or touch. And in that uh, pleasantness, we may per- perceive uh, in that beauty, we may perceive in that uh, appreciation or... Uh, connection, uh, an energy coming out of us of uh, uh, warmth or happiness through the touch of what's on the senses. And out of that we may move towards that which we perceive as pleasant. What would be the difference in that movement between contact, pleasantness and response and being caught up in it and pulled towards it in a kind of force which blinds us elsewhere. What would whisper and tell us? We may say, well, I'll know by how frequently I do it. Because if I keep doing it and I keep being pulled towards the the pleasant, the mind will make a habit out of it. It will produce and generate a conditioning out of it. And it becomes the habit. It becomes a habit even when the voice of wisdom says this habit is unhealthy, unwise, unskillful, is, ad- is addictive. Whatever it might be. But initially, it's the spark with a contact. The contact produced a pleasant feeling. The pleasant feeling produced an interest. The interest produced the movement towards. But perhaps we didn't notice and weren't aware in that time. And in that movement towards, and then doing it again and again, the mind only knew that to do. It could be anything that comes through the senses. Anything. 
one person said uh, tragically and uh, in- insightfully with, with food issues, not unusual person said, I am digging my grave with my knife and fork. So something has gone on in the pleasantness, in the movement, in the repetition of it, that the attraction and the self has gone along with it. And at some point in the repetition of that kind of experience, whatever it might be, voice has come in and says, this has to change. Or this has to stop. This is unhealthy. This isn't good for me. What am I doing to myself? Why am I doing this all all the time? And then there's that difficulty and that tug of war that goes on within the human being all too common of the force of attraction towards. On the one side, I want, I want. And the other is the aversion to the wanting. I have to stop this. I'm just killing myself doing this. I'm, 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 I'm stuck in this. I'm caught up in this. I'm addicted to this. I'm fixated on this. Whatever it, whatever it might be. And the mind is in its own turmoil. And I'm sure many, many of us in various areas and ways of our life can, can uh, relate to this. But we don't know in, those, in that turmoil between attraction and aversion and the collision that goes on. We don't know a middle ground. We don't know a place to rest because we fight with our life. So in the themes, themes of practices and themes of teachings and themes of exploration uh, uh, here, it's the endeavour to find and to know through our direct experience of what the middle way is. What the between attraction on the one side, attraction, I'm talking that compelling, compelling need which I must get and I go towards and I don't want anything to get in my way. And uh, aversion to ever the same thing or something else. And so the number of themes that get explored in the uh, field of the practice and, and, the, and the teachings, in a way, is all reiterating and saying to us uh, again and again, those two forces will constantly be colliding and constantly generating uh, stress and unhappiness, which is the outcome of those two meeting each other. I wanted this, but did I really want it? I wanted this, I didn't get it, I got something else, and now what I got, in its place, I have such intense hatred and aversion towards. Movement, collision, movement, collision, movement, collision, movement, collision. And teachings is say, yes, there's a way out of it. We don't have to live like that. The movement of our life can be free. So we take and explore a number of uh, uh, themes and we, we, we say you know, to ourselves and to each other, in fact, please, please, take seriously each of these themes. Really attend to them because each, in their own way, 
are saying to, saying to us, if we can find the middle way and we can know what that is, we'll find liberation in it. And we won't feel, we just simply won't feel to be a prisoner to the force of attraction and aversion. And so they say, what are these themes? What are they? And the themes are the middle way, here and now. Middle way between what? Middle way between past and future. We say, be, be aware of arising and passing. Why? Middle way. Middle way between what? Middle way between clinging to the arising and therefore aversion to the passing or clinging to the pass, passing and aversion to the arising or whatever it might be. We speak of the teachings of the, of the um, middle way in terms of bringing awareness to, to the moment. Not going in one, in one extreme of ego, ego, self, self, and boosting oneself up, and all that self-affirmation that can, that can take place to try to be somebody in the world. Nor at the other extreme of things as well, in the field of human experience, which is constantly putting oneself down. Constantly attacking oneself, low sense of uh, self-worth, uh, 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 tendency t towards dismissing oneself or whatever. Inflated ego, building up the ego and rejection, rejecting uh, ego all come from, from, from a similar problem, a, sim a similar problem of attraction and aversion. We don't have to build up our ego to get rid of our ego. We don't have to build up ourselves to get rid of ourselves, because to do that is to plant oneself in another extreme. Like, let's be centered, let's be grounded, let's meditate, let's be conscious here and now, and let's see the movement of the self under the influence of attraction and aversion. Attraction meaning building oneself up in self-importance, and all the emptiness of that, and the other putting oneself down and... Uh, and all the extremity that goes with that. Sometimes in the extremes that uh, take place and to find the middle, middle ground, we become, and the Buddha gave many warnings about this and vigilance about this, that sometimes there is a tendency to try to be positive. Sounds sweet and, and nice. It's a nice pleasant, comfortable way of saying, once again, one is attracted towards the pleasant. It's carrying with it hope, and the hope things will get better. And one is riding on that hope, riding on that improvement, riding on that uh, development. But sometimes, as we know, in the build-up of hope, it builds it up in such a way that we actually get quite out of touch. With what? With the middle way. And then life comes, comes along and what we've built up collapses on us. What we anticipated gets destroyed. The continuity which we believed in ceases to be. 
And then we swing to the other extreme as well, of course. Always seeing what's wrong, always seeing the fault, always seeing how things go wrong, always seeing things don't turn out. Takes the spirit out of the human being, takes the life out of, life out of us. What is the middle way between the extremes of positivity and all that goes with that, which can set oneself up for incredible disappointment, and, and negativity, which can set us up for a great deal of unhappiness and despair. Trying to find the middle ground, and maybe, can we expand that middle ground? What would it be in the unfolding field of experiences to be centred, to be here and now, to be present, to be anchored between the extremes, to really be anchored between the extremes, because there is an honesty about it, there is a truthfulness about it, and anchored and so that it begins to expand itself to accommodate those two extremes. And the extraordinary thing is when you and I, when we look at our life and we say to ourselves, my goodness, I've put myself in some extreme situations in my life. If I had known what I was uh, doing, I certainly wouldn't have gone out on that uh, kind of limb. Some of the things which I, whoever the I is, have, have done or said or what, what, whatever, uh, would raise eyebrows uh, anywhere. They even raise eyebrows in my life when I look back, the eye of anybody uh, uh, here, of course, I'm speaking. And you say, goodness, all the things where I've really gone over the edge, I've really gone to extreme, I've, I've, I've really got out of, out of touch. And yet, in spite of countless examples in our life, where that has happened through lack of awareness, lack of wisdom, lack of mindfulness, lack of presence, lack of clarity, lack, 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 lack of all. Yet, nevertheless, in spite of all of that, we still manage to find our way back, may not be for very long, but at least find our way back to some sense of a middle ground between those two extremes that you and I have run out on at various times. mind has a, has a remarkable capacity to go into what the Buddha called, he called it Mara's pasture, Mara's field, meaning, Mara means um, the force of uh, temptation which pulls us into areas where there's risk, risk meaning generating of suffering for ourselves and and others wandering into Mara's field, Mara's, Mara's pasture. And sometimes we have done that. And all the ways that that's happened, and let's say we try find to renew and recover that sense of what the middle ground is. And sometimes we have genuinely learnt our lesson. We genuinely know there are areas in life, which are no-go areas. And that's become abundantly clear for us. How do we know it's a no-go area? Because we know where the middle is. 
the kutlis, which we call the middle, which enables us to find a steadiness, could there be something significant and deeply profound amidst the highs and lows of experience, amidst the street extremes of experience, amidst the positivity and negativity, amidst the attention to the past, the attention to the future? Could there be something profoundly significant that it's not just a matter of being here and now and being present and finding a steadiness, but somewhere in that it's something which is naturally opening itself out. When I was um, talking about extremes, when I was um, um, uh, a monk, extremes being relative in, in, in all, uh, all matters, Got a reminder of it uh, uh, today. Uh, somebody asked for uh, about a book uh, called the Visuddhi Marga. It's called the Path of Purification, and it's a rather um, uh, long, in fact, far too long uh, commentary. You know, you know, Buddhist tradition is, is uh, marvelous for this. Uh, the Buddha said so much, and people who commented on what he said have said a lot more than what the original person said. And the Visuddhi Marga is one of, one of, one of those. Uh, Bhikkhu, the late Bhikkhu uh, Yanamoli, who translated it. Uh, it's a huge, t- I, must, I don't know, I can't remember how many pages, but uh, um, a thousand pages plus. And so sometimes in uh, practices, um, and in this case, uh, the monks uh, in the monastery would get inspired by some of the, what was advocated in there. And one of those things which... Uh, uh, stick uh, in, in my mind was the practice of uh, not lying down at night. Most people like to lie, lie down at uh, night. <laughs> so, Buddha Gosha, who is the author of the book, Visuddhi uh, um, um, Marga, gives details of this practice of not lying down at night. And so there are um, uh, four ways, if I remember rightly, yeah, four ways of approaching uh, this. And one of those ways was you found a pillar or a tree and you took your uh, robe and you tied the robe around you, <laughs> around the tree, and that kept you up at night. <laughs> But um, if that was seen in the uh, monastery by the uh, other monks, one was you know, basically treated as a, the ultimate wimp. So the second was nothing to hold you to the pillar. You just uh, um, uh, leaned uh, um, against it, or the tree, or, or, or whatever, the three. And then the third... Third was no support, yeah. and as those of you have been, some of you have been practicing quite successfully, of um, sitting and having a sleep while one is uh, uh, sitting. <laughs> and when people are unfamiliar with these kind of uh, practices and so-called uh, uh, austerities, 
the thought would arise, you know, not lying down at night and one night after the other, it sounds incredibly uh, uh, extreme. You know, it just seems um, uh, bizarre and, uh, and unnatural. And we forget, whether it's voluntarily or sometimes involuntarily, as we remember with the stories of the, of the hostages and others, the tremendous capacity to be with and stay steady uh, with situations uh, like that in which heart, mind and body are centred, are grounded and are comfortable with the situation. And body and heart and mind, it, it, it can do it. And don't suppose to anything, but uh, I once did a 49-day stretch without any uh, lying, lying down. And first the two or three uh, days, it seemed um, uh, hard work, and uh, the sleep rhythms and uh, all, all of that being affected, and one gets into the rhythm of it. And one just learns to sit and, and, and rest and, and, and uh, nap, and the benefits of this are, st are still uh, coming sometimes when I'm sitting up the front here. <laughs> Some, some, somebody asked me on the retreat, they said, at the beginning of the retreat, they said, Christopher, I've, my first retreat with you, and I've done many, many retreats with other teachers at IMS, and I've sat three months retreats here, but you seem to be the only teacher, you and uh, Shada, where everybody's not facing us up front, but facing each other. Now you know the reason. <laughs> So we can have a sleep up here and you, you don't notice and think we're in deep samadhi. <laughs> so in adaption to circumstances, in, in, uh, in uh, presence, it's not only the benefit of, uh, of presence which is, imp is important here, but as I say, there's some expansion which can go on, which begins to, this is important, to accommodate the extremes. And, and obviously, it doesn't take a great deal of reflection to know that the extremes, we know the extremes by the middle. How else would we know? And there is something within the being, within, within us, if we're in touch with ourselves, when we know we're moving to extreme in one way or another. And if we don't know, if we're not picking up those signals within ourselves, we certainly need the insights and the perceptions and the honesty of, of others who are in the middle and say, hey, this is moving to extremes. And we say, some, some people say, oh, but if I've just uh, stayed in the middle, oh God, life would be so boring just sat there plodding along in the, in the middle, never going to uh, any, any kind of uh, uh, extremes or whatever. But what's the cost of going out there? What's being missed? And so I say, in that expansion of things which begins to take place, an accommodating factor begins to take place, and in that accommodating factor, there's an awakening which begins to start. And that awakening 
which has its intimations, begins to know that the self, in its thickest, heaviest, strongest form, is somewhere involved in the clinging and the craving and the holding, or the preoccupation with the extremes of attraction and aversion. That's where it gains its most thingness. Let, let, let me be steady. Not steady in a way which is holding to the present moment, but steady in such a way that there is that expansion which takes place in which the self isn't at the centre. And therefore we ask many times in that, in that teaching, we sometimes start speaking about our roles in life, and how our roles can be a springboard for problems, can be. But what is that before the role begins? Who am I before my self in some position or some identity uh, gets underway? Who am I before this mind begins to move and take its shape and its formation and its position? Who am I when there's no role? When there's no social agreement about who I am? Maybe this middle ground could be, and this middle way could be a wonderful intimation towards us of a, of a liberating intimacy. In which one sees that out of that middle ground and that liberating intimacy, oh yes, pleasantness arises. Out of the here and now. Unpleasantness arises out of the here and now. Roles arise out of the here and now. Thoughts of the past arise out of the here and now. Thoughts of the future arise out of it. Something in the centre of things is actually revealing and enabling everything for it to be a container for everything. We look before the role comes, before the position, before the mind moves. In that presence of the here and now, can we ever be out of it? Can we be out of the here and now? Can we be unpresent? So it's sometimes it's as though we use the centre, use the immediacy of things, and as it were, come back before our whole self, our whole identity is born. Before it is born. And then, when we're speaking in the language of, what is that before conception? What is that before conceiving? What is that before the movement of planning begins? What is that before the thought arises? Before the movement takes place, what is that? Which allows that. And in our steadiness, if we have seen all of that, the self, what is it? Who could show it? It's empty. 
so the middle way and the middle ground is the vehicle of liberation the vehicle of the light of enlightenment and beautifully it's simultaneously its expression it's both path and fruit it's both beginning middle and end and I therefore it isn't conflicting movements of attraction and aversion which are moving. It's free expression of life. And that free expression of life brings its own love, brings its own joy, brings its own happiness. The teachings say this is accessible. Here and now, this is accessible. And every moment that you and I live and breathe and be on this, on this earth, this liberation and the liberated movement of flow that goes uh, along with it is who we truly are. It is that before conception starts. And every single moment, every word of the teachings, every word of the practice, every communication is a clear, unambiguous reminder to it. And therefore there's no conflict left in life. No confusion is left in life. No two forces at extremes colliding with each other or fragmented from each other. Free movement out of freedom. But this the teachings are. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see deeply into the nature of things. May all beings know a liberated life. To have our two or three minutes of silence together, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.